All right, hello everyone, and happy Saturday. Welcome to another episode of Crypto with English. So today's theme is gonna be about resiliency, as far as cryptocurrency and DeFi and resiliency. So how can cryptocurrency keep the financial system running in spite of things like wars, crises, natural disasters, and other related crises that kind of turn society upside on its head? So I'd like to introduce to you all the two co-founders of tech waves they specialize in public relations and content creation in the DeFi and cryptocurrency uh space so uh nika dimitriotti and sonia bobrick thank you very much for uh coming on to the show and sonia this is the uh, second time you've been on my show so yeah thank you again so how are you both doing thank you we are great thank you the weather on our side is the best <laughs> and we are really happy yeah. I think, okay. um, yes. nevertheless, what's going on now uh, in the crypto market and the overall world situation, we always say because crisis management is one of our key specialties when working with our clients. We always say, Sonia says, and I completely, I completely agree with her, that each crisis is an opportunity and it depends on you how you're going to, how you're going to deal with it. You can always turn it into an opportunity or you can regard it as a problem and look at it as a problem. So, yeah. Right. Crisis. Um, uh, this time um, where you can always be the best uh, when other companies, for example, in panic. So uh, you can use this time to be better. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, because some companies step back and they're afraid and they're trying to work their strategies. They're trying to maybe cut some expenses. They are, for example, cut some uh, employees, but that's not how we operate. So we believe that being united and being even optimistic, being believers and dreamers is what is what going is going to help us in any situation, no matter what happens next. Right. And I think that's a very good philosophy that you both have for your company. And uh, like you both said, I think a lot of times the reflex for many companies, you know, and this could even be this could mean Web3 related or otherwise. It's like, oh, things are hard. Time to start, uh, you know, kicking people out. But, you know, as far as, you know, um, good companies that, you know, come to mind, you know, those are the ones that have a very, very strong and resilient, you know, philosophy. And it's a type where people want to stay. And I think the company as a whole, you know, becomes, uh, you know, becomes stronger that way. So I think that's, I think that's great that, uh, you know, you both are, you know, following, you know, that type of, uh, you know, that type of belief, so to say, because, mm -hmm. you know, it's very easy to react when you're scared and, you know, in life in general, you know, and I think often it's that reaction that leads to more mistakes. So it kind of makes you wonder when, um, let's say companies start, you know, when they just start laying off people, so to say, at the first moments uh i guess the first uh first bit of evidence of something bad happening if the first instinct is to start letting go people you don't really know um the extent of how good that decision is and by the way what other problems you might be um causing in the meantime for yourself let's say as the company by kind of always you know reacting you know in in that fashion and besides it's like you know, you may be letting off some very, very good people in the process as well. <laughs> you know, and those those people might be the ones that actually 
may be uh, best suited for, for a crisis. And, you know, speaking of crises, one of the things that became very obvious to people is actually how reliable and how resilient and strong the crypto and uh, DeFi system is. You know, you saw with the, you know, as we are currently seeing and will continue to see for a while, unfortunately, with the war in Ukraine, how um, essentially the traditional banking systems, unfortunately, um, they tend to be very vulnerable targets, you know, during, during times of war. You know, it's going to be very hard for people to pull their money out of banks when, let's say, troops are in your city, you know, getting, you know, bombarded by, you know, various, you know, bombs and artillery and things like that. And one of the ways a lot of the, you know, Ukrainian, uh, you know, resistance fighters have actually received resources is actually through cryptocurrency, um, you know, through various, you know, donations, you know, across the world. So if you two can kind of talk about that as far as uh, cryptocurrency, the markets and how um, how they function as some sort of like protection in really uh, uncertain, you know, you could say emergency like times. Yeah, sure thing. That's, um, that's the topic we'd like to discuss because we see how important crypto now in these new conditions, in the situation when banks stop working and the only hope for people is to find, to find an, an alternative source of funding that is not affiliated, that can be protected from third parties and even security. So, um, yeah, uh, Sonia, would you like to start? Because yeah. I think you have many ideas regarding this. Yeah, I have my own example about crypto and banks. So for example, uh, crypto really saved me because uh, thanks for, the, for, this, for this, I can uh, send money, for example, for my relatives to uh, Russia. I can yeah. use uh, uh, decentralized uh, payment services and crypto exchanges to exchange, uh, for example, euro to uh, rubles, uh, crypto to rubles, and etc. And uh, it's really good chance for people like me uh, who, have, uh, who has uh, relatives, uh, for example, in Russia. And uh, you can use decentralized technologies to uh, send money. And uh, it's really nice uh, in this situation. Yeah. And how are your relatives doing, um, you know, in Russia? Because, uh, you know, especially I think, you know, nowadays with the escalation of the war in Ukraine, you know, I've at least here, you know, I've seen footage where, you know, you could say government troops are, you know, uh, being very, very uh, hyper violent and, you know, aggressive to, you know, any and all types of protests, um, mass censorship. And you could say um, over, uh, you know, over restriction of, you know, certain types of news that's, uh, you know, getting in as well so you know i i think uh i would i would imagine and you know i would imagine in many senses too uh people are just kind of suffering across you know across the board i think regardless of of, of where you are okay um um could you please uh, could you repeat please your question uh yeah sorry that's uh that, that was a little bit of a loaded question i kind of uh i did <laughs> Kind of, I kind of ramble <laughs> a little bit. But no, I was actually, I was really yeah. just asking how are you, how your relatives are, are, are doing, you know, um, you know, as, as they are based in Russia right now. And, uh, you know, especially in the middle of this conflict where it's just kind of crazy everywhere. 
uh yeah actually uh, they're fine uh but um the situation in the country not uh good uh, uh prices for, for example in groceries uh rise uh, into times and um i remember that uh, i heard uh, a conversation with uh between two uh, old women that they can um they they don't have money uh for enough money for food uh, for paying their apartments uh, and uh, for living in general so yeah uh, it's um, and um, here's the moment that I'd like to add to um, as you said and it's completely correct um, Russians are limited in their um, right to fully um, report on what's going on in the country and that's why we are limited in Sonia with Sonia as well, because for us it's important to stay neutral, not to be um, overwhelmed about overall situation, sure. to keep working, to not to be constantly under stress. And that's why we, that's why we try to stay away from the situation. We are in contact with our relatives. We. Yeah. constantly talk to them to be able to know that they are okay and they're fine. We're also sharing some funds with them so that they always have enough money to keep living and to have comfort life. But yeah, talking about protests, maybe um, I would say that um, one day uh, common sense will win. One day will win. And uh, I think it's more than enough. And it's uh, the best thing we can say now because politicians are politicians. Sure. I hope they know what they are doing on both sides. So um, let's leave it to them. For us, with our family, it's completely fine. We keep working right. and we're happy for them. And I believe that in the end, for example, now we're in Europe and now we're in Montenegro and we see how Ukrainians and Russians and Belarusians are constantly in contact they speak the yeah. same language and uh, each day when we walk on the street we see ukrainians and we see they are not aggressive and we understand that russians are not aggressive as well so the all the whole situation is not about people it's more about maybe wrong decisions in the of authorities but that's what we cannot judge just because we don't know all the details so yeah being neutral yeah. in this case is the best tactics to keep working and to stay safe, probably, because sometimes we prefer not to spread information about it uh, to be sure that we're not spreading any fake news, because sometimes it's better to stay silent or just to wait for, for the right facts, for verified information not to be a source of fake news because the truth will always be revealed and there's no way it's going to be hidden in the end. That's our position. That's what I wanted to add. Sure. And as far as, uh, as far as projects uh, that you, that you both have coming up, uh, um, what are, what are some things you'll be working on, you know, between now and let's say, you know, you know, later this year and uh, you know, 2022, is going to be another very, very uh, consequential, interesting year for cryptocurrency with you know NFTs, metaverse projects, and all the other things in DeFi. Um, you know, Bitcoin and 
most of the crypto market has taken a serious beating, as they say. Uh, I don't think that's really going to ultimately deter a lot of people uh, as far as participating in this. But as far as uh, projects, yeah, what are you what are you both working on? Sonia? Uh, <laughs> um, what's, what's that projects we are working on? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, our businesses, our companies, our uh, dear partners. Yeah, uh, we most focused on uh, NFTs projects now and uh, decentralized uh, social media. Uh, so um, we are... We are um, uh, we are seeing a big potential in NFTs and decentralized decentralization, and um, uh, we uh, see new ways uh, in investment. For example, we have a project uh, where you can invest in your favorite um, artists, musicians, and get profits from it. So, Very nice. Yeah. yeah. Such projects is uh, for us is a good idea. Um, first, yeah, um, to be honest, I'm a huge believer in censorship resistant social networks. I seriously believe right. that that's what we should be uh, heading to because many people are so much motivated by masks' decision to buy Twitter, but at the same right. time, we see critics. And to be honest, I'm a huge critic of this decision just because when uh, there is so much power in one person's hands. Um, chances are uh, he can he can act emotionally, and each of his steps can lead to so many consequences. And maybe the face of Twitter is going to be changed fundamentally in the nearest future. So that's why, for example, we work with initiatives that are aim to help people to build their own censorship-resistant networks. And right. uh, what we mean by that is that people, this is like true, true Web3, where people are interacting with each other. And basically, they are the ones who are really creating the internet or like right. or forming the landscape on the internet, who are capable of posting everything but exists like self-regulation and self-regulation regarding social networks that's what we actually believe in because if authorities or elon musk is in charge of any social media um yeah as i said chances are it's not going to be that like that open-minded and uh, chances are people will not have so much rights and will not have the right to say something honestly and sure. yes about nfts yeah that's why i wanted to add we believe that supporting such projects cultural projects is a good idea in this new reality because when people are constantly scrolling through instagram or any like news websites they're overwhelmed with all situations they are stressed out sure. we will focus more on culture and supporting for example artists from minorities or traditionally underserved artists who couldn't be so much represented in media previously. I think that's a good thing to do in this new reality where culture may be overlooked because of this. Sure.
And, you, you know, you raised some good points there. And I would say this. I think if anybody was, was in the position of, let's say, an Elon Musk, I think if either if it's me or the both of you that ran Twitter, I think in, I think. Oh, yeah, I know. Right. Imagine that. But it is almost certain that at some point, either my biases or opinions or yours will eventually yeah. creep up into it. It's just human nature, so to say. And I think as far as human nature goes, I think if any of any of us had that type of, let's say, net worth and wealth and capital, you know, um, I don't see why somebody wouldn't, let's say, want to, let's say, buy Twitter and maybe, let's say, recreate it as they would, you know, uh, you know, as they would see fit. Like, you know, for instance, like, uh, you know, I love like 1980s action movies like Arnold Schwarzenegger, Sylvester Stallone. You know what? I probably if I own Twitter, I probably want to promote more of Schwarzenegger and Stallone's content. I'm not <laughs> kidding about that. You know, they're, they're classics, in my opinion, you know, but, you know, like even something as like kind of silly as that. You know, they, even that has consequences, you know, as well. Okay. So, and I just yeah. imagine, for example, as I see, uh, Sonia, I'm just interested. How would you react if you, for example, so one day that Wall Street Journal writes uh, Sonia Bobrick uh, posts strange content on her page. Uh, let's unfollow her. If you were <laughs> capable of blocking the whole Twitter, what would you do? <laughs> yeah, but... Um... I heard about recreating uh, uh, Twitter. I, I think it's my own opinion. Uh, it's not recreating. It's uh, about control people and uh, control them and tell them what, how they have to think about something and how to um, what they. Uh, and uh, how can they think and what they can do uh, in um, uh, situations like in the world, like uh, Elon Musk say, uh, let's do this and people, yeah, yeah, and we can do this, we can say that. And it's about control, I think. It's not about uh, open-minded and etc. Right. Yeah, it's like, like standards, for example. He at any point he could set standards for posts on Twitter. He would say, "Hmm, I like to cut symbols so that uh, tweet is even shorter," and that it looks possible. It looks like uh, now it looks like a potential outcome, like a reality, like something that could potentially happen. And um, yeah, so yeah. The whole network. Yeah, sorry. Um, we we saw this uh, situation with Dutch coin, for example. Wow, yeah, and, I was going to mention that. Yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> um, yeah. So it's what I think. Yeah, yeah I, I, mean, I think uh, Dogecoin is probably going to do better. You know, I, I guess uh, as far as you know, Elon Musk running. Twitter, and I, I've also read recently that there's been some hiccups as far as, uh, I guess you could say, the complete, uh, you could say almost, takeover as far as his role in Twitter. So I'm very curious to see how that's going to play play out. But I think it, you know, I think it ultimately goes to human nature. I, I think all of us, we're all either guilty or vulnerable to this, but our, our opinions, our feelings, our biases will eventually creep in if we control it. And it kind of makes you wonder if um, if you want to make something truly 
you can almost say either democratic or completely neutral or completely like a like a pure free speech type of platform it makes you wonder wouldn't it make sense to actually put twitter and essentially migrate it onto some sort of blockchain platform make it completely decentralized with nodes and essentially you you could have uh you could actually have a governance utility either you know crypto or nft token where Literally, the users could just decide themselves as far as what content they want and what content they don't want. Like, if, like I would say if Twitter was to really be pure and you could say absent of any type of personal bias, decentralize it then. You know, put, mm -hmm. it, you know, put it across a decentralized network of nodes and literally let the people decide. I think that is probably the closest way to make it that type of pure free speech, free, you know, free thinking type of platform where nobody could control it, you know, based on, you know, their beliefs or, or feelings. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I personally believe, to be honest, that um, to create <laughs> such like perfect, perfect shaped uh, social media networks, we should start from scratch because I personally, uh, you know, uh, we are, constantly like uh, it's a part of our specialization it's a huge part of what we're doing uh what right. we do on a daily basis we uh constantly brainstorming with sonia we're constantly creating topics like each day starts with a bunch of topics like hmm, what we should talk about today and it starts in our social media accounts and we're teaching sure. different topics to different journalists we're trying to surprise them in any way even in, even though sometimes it's completely impossible to surprise them because they seen it all and uh one of the topics was was uh like um who would win in this race to that three would it be centralized social networks or decentralized social networks and i personally maybe sony will future this in the future disagree with me let's see what she says but um i personally believe that um facebook and twitter and uh, Instagram won't change. So uh, if we if we're speaking about Web3, we should start from scratch and we should create brand new social networks because centralized teams behind with centralized philosophy who are standing behind centralized networks won't right. allow won't allow these social media networks to be completely decentralized. I just don't really believe that uh, people who like this concept, who are profiting from this centralized concept, would like that idea, would like the idea of completely transparent social media. And Sonia, right. what, what do you think about it? Um, I think that um, it will be good if we have uh, in the same time Twitter, Facebook and uh, Web3 so we can compare what is the best for us because now we can we can uh, we can know what is the best because we uh, uh, we don't have this web3 <laughs> internet and can only imagine how it will be so um that's that's my opinion and uh, i think we can we can we can wait for it and one day we um, got what you what we want. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah. No, but I think you both raise a good point about 
uh, Twitter, Instagram, and more of these type of centralized type of social media platforms, you know, I think ultimately, and you know, they're more of a product of Web2, but if they're fundamentally at its core, Web2 centralized type platforms, but if let's say they have the technology of some of the Web3 type stuff, there's still a Web2 centralized platform at the end of the day. I don't think, I think, you know, these have been around for like 10 plus years. So I don't think the actual structure is going to change. And I'm very excited to see as far as what new platforms are going to come out of this uh, yeah. Web3 era that we're living in. You know, so if let's say everything is eventually going to migrate onto the metaverse, you know, it's kind of nice if, you know, you have your own avatar, almost your own little character, essentially, to move through this kind of like sandbox type of video game like, uh, you know, uh, environment where like, listen, if you're actually messaging somebody like a DM, <laughs> I mean, I can imagine it's like, you know, your character walking up to that person, maybe with like a letter or something like that. And that kind of, you know, represents like a DM or something like that. I think that'd be pretty cool. Yeah, I, I can imagine that uh, new Web3, it's like new social media where you can be you virtual. Uh, yeah. Like, uh, <laughs> it's only my right. vision, but I think it can be in the future. Right. I think I will spend whole day just changing my avatars. I would be, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I really spend weeks uh, choosing my avatar. I would, just, I would take it too seriously, I guess. Yeah, well, you know, especially as, you know, as technology gets better over time, I mean, there's going to be probably near endless amount of options for people to customize their avatar. You know, this could be from, I mean, the basic things from just set outfits and clothes to, you know, hairstyle and, and voice and eye color and stuff like that. I mean, I would imagine, like, you know, that, that could be like a really long process to create, you know, kind of the avatar that you want, you know, especially if you wanted to represent you, you know, so to say. Yeah, I mean, that's, I mean, this is literally, I think, mo much of our lives, if not near all of it, will be gamified at some point. It's looking that way. Yeah, definitely. And, um, and what I believe that the power of social, of uh, the centralized social networks, just, um, uh, I know we changed a bit the topic, but, um, Looking back on what you asked first about how could crypto keep uh, the financial system running in situations like crisis, natural disasters, and wars, of course, um, I'd say that it would be great to have such a social network now in these realities. So, because there are many things that people uh, on both sides can tell each other, and yeah. if they had such a channel. If they had such a channel they where they could express their opinions and say what they actually think without moderation it would be great because i think that people are the only one who can solve this problem because uh, when they stop believing uh in the nature of war when they stop regarding war as a tool as a solution it's going to end one day and uh, yeah, so I believe when third parties leave the process of funding, for example, this is where independence starts on both ends. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, uh, you know, kind of touching on Elon Musk again, and, you know, I think you mentioned, you know, Dogecoin earlier as well. 
you know, I, I, as, as I think promising as it may seem to a lot of people, as far as, let's say, Elon Musk taking the helm and essentially being the leadership of Twitter, um, you know, I don't think that he's essentially going to allow every bit and all forms of news to go through. Like I said, it goes back to human nature. So, like, you know, let's say, for instance, if there was some sort of whistleblower situation within Tesla, let's say, and by the way, this is hypothetical, but, you know, but if there was a whistleblower situation where, let's say, somebody had some sort of research and they released it onto social media saying, this model of car explodes every time you turn it on. Yeah. Um, you know, or not even, even if it just doesn't explode, but let's say this, this model of car, the hood lights on fire every five mm -hmm. times you turn this on. I, I would imagine that, let's say, if that is on Twitter, I can't imagine a situation where, let's say, his team is like, okay, we're just going to leave it there. We'll let the algorithms promote this, you know, to the front so everybody can see this. Because there's a lot of, you know, shareholders and money behind all this. There's also a lot of legal teams and a lot of attorneys behind this as well. So I would imagine, at the very least, they're going to want to, you know, buy themselves some time to at least kind of mm -hmm. fix the problem or at least fix the perception of the problem rather than just kind of like, okay, you know, we're just going to let this circulate and let people retweet this and let people comment on this. You know, uh, it's like, like I said, I think we're all a victim. We're all subject to our own biases. So, you know, if that was the case, you know, so to say, you know, I would, I would say even just to protect the bottom line for the company, mm -hmm. some sort of like, brief shadow banning or something along those lines for that little piece of news. Because I think eventually everybody's going to know anyway, but I would imagine just from a pure strategy point of view, he would want to, you know, kind of uh, mute that for mm -hmm. a little bit, so to say. I believe. And uh, I guess because we, yesterday we discussed this situation with Sonia, by the way, um, <laughs> We, because uh, now we're, by the way, are uh, looking into different crisis management strategies. And what we believe is that, uh, what I believe, maybe Sonia changed her opinion, but I believe that he has an excellent PR team. And that PR team, for sure, would um, spread the opposite information at the same time. Sure. For example... For example, uh, they would find some insiders who are interested in buying uh, Tesla shares for like minimum price. And they would say, hmm, they're trying to spread this information to drop the price and to profit right. from that. Be cautious. That's what I think would happen because if he has such power and he, if he has so much money, then probably he's going to be creative about um, like um, showing that his social network is as free as it was, but at the same time, right, how information he wouldn't like to appear there. Sonny, what do you think about it? How how would he act in your opinion? Um, <laughs> I think that um, people uh, who has uh, such power, like. Uh, Elon Musk, uh, they 
uh, can regulate the market in general. So um, such, uh, you know, uh, to tell someone that something will happen, but it can be happen, but people in panic uh, start uh, to um, withdraw their, their money or uh, tell uh, others to withdraw and uh, their, uh, the market is crushing because of it. Right. Yeah, so maybe... Uh... Oh, okay. Uh, so, um, yeah, it's like, uh, like, like the current situation with Luna. Um, after looking into the articles, because uh, we, because our partners are partnering with some companies who relied on Luna, and uh, after looking into details, just to know, uh, like, to know the the story of this crisis, to understand its reasons, we looked into some reports and found out it's easy as it was as it was before, even in classic finance and traditional financial markets, just always starts with panic. And uh, somebody says like, oh my gosh, they are withdrawing their money. They are trying to transfer a lot of money. They are leaving these assets. Uh, they let's leave it behind too. And it always like it starts because it always starts with panic and panic like is the worst uh, market's enemy as we see it now, as we saw it before. So. Right. And maybe this is, I agree with Sony, this is a true power. Uh, true power is not about money. It's not even about uh, having like huge law, huge team of lawyers or for example, buying social media. It's about the power of trust because if people trust you or if they look up to you, if they trust your opinion and if they uh, regard you as an influencer, as the one who is capable of making world-changing decisions they're going to believe you and each word you say they're going to believe and if he starts panic this panic panic may spread easily right yeah it kind of becomes like a wildfire uh you know so to say you know and i think as you saw with luna's situation as well you know this th these things have ripples and these things have you know primary secondary you know effects and i think without a doubt when something as catastrophic as luna's price you know being yeah. gutted so to say it also affected the rest of the crypto markets and the other major you know cryptocurrencies as well i i think a lot of this uh i think society in general is a lot more connected than we realize or even like to admit is as well yeah yeah i believe i love uh, i personally love the concept of mcluhan marshall mcluhan because he believes that the world is a huge village, to be honest. Because, yeah. you know, it starts one yard, uh, just, I know, like old lady says to another old lady, you know, crypto market is going to crash. <gasps> oh, really? I'm going to tell it to my relatives. Let's oh. start. Because, yeah. yes, it always starts that way, to be honest. And, uh, yeah, uh, speaking about the situation with Luna, I personally, um, you know, if Ukraine and the situation in Ukraine, even though it was so stressful and keeps, uh, and uh, the situation is going on, it keeps going on, and it's stressful and it's harmful and it's terrific, uh, it's terrible, it's terrible in general. Um, even though it was like a stressful event, it was a huge driver for 
mass adoption. And we even right. uh, wrote articles on that topic because I seriously believe that crisis sometimes can accelerate progress like any war. It just it happens historically that way. Uh, but yeah, that situation with Luna shows one thing that remains the same, that people people are still more controlled by emotions more than by their desire to profit because investing has nothing to do with panicking. And yes. uh, yeah, it's a huge yes. obstacle on our way to mass adoption just because until people are able to divide and to separate information and to look like critically at all this information. We're going to live it. We're going to get through such crisis like each year, maybe, or uh, each four years, because it's like, it's generally, it's a huge lesson for all crypto market players. Right. And on our side, um, you know, tech waves, it's not about PR. It's not only about PR. It's also about enlightenment uh, because you know many of our mates and relatives and friends uh, in Russia and Eastern European countries are not uh, really familiar with the concept of crypto because for them it's um, it's just another source of maybe profiting. But we'd like to enlighten people and to show them another side to show them how to deal with their investment, to deal how to take everything, how to look at all situations different ways when it comes to business, when it comes to private finance and investing. So uh, now we are partially focused on sharing our experience of dealing with that crisis and sharing our experience as crypto investors, how we act in that situation. We even shared some strategies that could be helpful in that in that situation with our right. friends who are just beginners in the crypto market so yeah yeah uh, it's about psychology yeah and uh, i'd like to add about market uh crypto market um uh if you notice that most invest investors in the market crypto market are not professional investors so uh, right. People guided by emotions and uh, professional uh, investor. They not emotional people. They wait. They are uh, <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, no, that's that's absolutely true. And I think if you pick up many, if not most, trading books, they will often say the uh, you could say the the markets, whether it's crypto whether it's traditional equities really guided by two emotions fear and greed so you know yeah. you see like things that are going on 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 any given day um it really tells you how emotional and kind of irrational at times a lot of trading is so especially with a lot of trends that we see out there you know Nine out of 10 people lose money when it comes to investing in the stock market. And I would even imagine even with cryptocurrency, because kind of like what you both touch on, a lot of it is based on emotions. So I think if, if you see essentially 20 people, or let's say 100 people trading a certain way, you know, that magnifies essentially the next trading that comes after that. So people are seeing that. They're going to think, oh, no, the market's going to crash. I better dump everything. 
And then, you know, often, you know, sometimes it goes in the opposite direction. And, you know, those people are really uh, angry because uh, they could have made money and instead they lost it. So, yeah, there is, uh, you know, there's certainly, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of that. And you both made a, a good point earlier about how a lot of progress or advancement, especially when it comes to technology, comes out of, you know, very, very difficult times. And I I'm a huge history nerd, so I'll throw this one out there. So one of the biggest technological advancements that came out of, let's say, the end of World War I was actually plastic surgery. So when, you know, veterans, you know, from all over were coming back yeah. home and many of them were disfigured, you know, either from, you know, either from gunshot wounds. And by the way, even in World War One, people were still using kind of like, uh, you know, military, you know, uh, knives and swords because a lot of it was trenches that they were fighting in. Uh, you yeah. know, there had to have been a way to essentially deal with a lot of the physical and mental trauma at the time. So towards the end of World War One, the beginnings of plastic surgery were created to essentially, you know, rebuild essentially you know people's you know faces and you know limbs and and things like that and if you look at how that industry has transformed you know modern society you know as as time goes on that is probably one of the more poignant examples that that comes to mind because something that was originally created as a very very important necessity you know to a save lives but also be kind of restore a lot of these veterans coming back has now really become a modern staple and a modern kind of cornerstone of pop culture and you could say, uh, you know, uh, health and beauty in, in the uh, cosmetic industry, you know, as well. And, you know, another one is the Internet, um, originally mm -hmm. used as, as essentially as a military database and, and, and tool. Um, and yeah, and if you yeah. Look at the I, way, personally, I personally like this story of Enigma, and uh, right. I yes. adore, adore this film with the Con uh, Benedict Cumberbatch uh, as uh, yeah. the main character. I just love this movie, and it and I just re I understand that um, it all started with um, you know it all started at hard times when people were trying to reveal the secrets of some of technology of technology of ai back then they try to predict right. others they try to predict if these i know these if these That's like early machine learning type of yeah. uh, type of stuff with enigma yeah yeah and uh you see uh it all started back then and we've come a long way it all started with enigma and now we have twitter so right even individuals yeah, there you go yeah, and even individuals have a huge power to change the situation. So speaking about crypto, what I say uh, is the best solution in these new realities to start with your own investments. So, for example, what we do with Sony, we huddle until, I know, until the world ends. And uh, <laughs> this is uh, Warren Buffett's strategy and maybe, yeah. Maybe yeah. we're soulmates in that in that in these terms with Warren Buffett, just because you know he started investing. I don't remember the exact date, but it was like in forties. It was back in like nineteen forty-three, and he started investing back then. And he he just oh yeah, kept I'm investing. pretty sure he saved every nickel from his childhood. You know, I've read a lot about yes, Warren Buffett, yes, so yes. And, yeah. Uh, Uh, well, I oh. think 
Oh, did we just lose Nika? Yeah. All right, we'll, <laughs> all right, we'll uh, yeah, we'll give her, we'll give her a moment. I think to... it's a bad connection on her side. Okay. And by the way, I'm jealous. Um, you know, you're beautiful Montenegro right now. So, I mean, yeah. even just from the background, I just hear birds it's chirping and it's totally jealous. sunny. I am very jealous. Yes. <laughs> Looks beautiful over there. So I think yeah, you have a lot of that nice, like Mediterranean weather, and probably the food is amazing as well. Yeah, yeah, a special meat and cheese. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, have to, I'll have to add Montenegro uh, to my, my my bucket list of places to to go to. I'm going to Berlin in a few weeks, actually, for the Blockchain Oracle Summit. I was going to say, if I had more time, uh, you know, if I can make a little detour to uh, Montenegro. Oh, you're always well. Relax there. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> and I'm, you're back. I'm sorry, I'm sorry for my internet connection. It ended no, no me at the moment when I'm when I was going to share like an excellent story. So his investing strategy helped him to get through successfully through many crises, like in seventies and nineties. Right uh, at the beginning of this century, uh, 2008, and uh, if many people apply this concept, if they try to start acting the same way, or I, I don't say that this is the, the only perfect strategy, because in that case, traders would not exist or they wouldn't be working at all. But right. maybe sometimes it's better to, if uh, would I say that every person is capable of changing his uh, or her uh, whole life and if people uh, were more motivated by their own decisions than by like the overall market situation it would help market a lot yeah i agree and warren buffett is a great example and you know i actually have some of his books as well and one of the great characteristics and I guess you could say qualities he has he is extremely patient and you know and he's obviously been trading really since the beginning of a lot of our modern trading as, as far as how everything is played out and I don't I never got the impression he was motivated by either fear or greed when he came up with his strategies and you know companies to invest in and companies to buy out everything seems very very well planned out and i would even say tactical on on his part as as well and uh, i i think more people can uh, certainly learn from that kind of being able to detach your emotions from from trading for better or for worse by the way because i think even a lot of times you know um people get a little too scared of the short-term results so let's say if you otherwise made a great investment but let's say the following week the price dipped maybe about a third most people are just going to essentially dump their position, so to say. And you look at Bitcoin. I mean, how many up and downs has Bitcoin had for the past 12 years? And also you look at how wealthy a lot of the major and original holders were as well. You know, they still held on despite kind of that roller coaster of, of price movement and volatility. So there's a lot to be said about that. So it, it almost kind of tells you, you know, don't do what everybody else is doing because most people are just going to react immediately the moment they see something. And then sometimes you miss out on a lot of good opportunities that way. Yeah, maybe maybe the most uh, 
you know, maybe the best thing we could learn from Warren Buffett is the idea that the world may end, but it's enough for Warren Buffett if Warren Buffett stays. So right. he relies on himself. And that's what we should right. learn because really it's a good example that uh, you show now that uh, I really imagine how stressed people, those people who, for example, bought Bitcoin back, I know, like in maybe 2011, Right, and and then they just dropped it and just uh, sold, and and they like, okay, gosh, it's not going to work out in any way. I should probably invest. I don't know, like in maybe S and S and P five hundred, but maybe S and P five hundred is not the best case because. Right. Uh, yeah. Especially. Yeah. It's a good example because it's actually they could profit from that because there are many other things, many many other things, just like maybe classic banking, and then these bank goes prime bankrupt. And then they just uh, like two or like 10 years pass. And then they, hmm, let's, let's take a look at what's happening with that Bitcoin. Maybe even that doesn't even exist. And they just search on the internet and just look at the quotes and see what they lost because of their impatience. This is a good lesson. Right. Yeah, it certainly is. And, you know, if I could find this, I'll send it to both of you. So there's this one Twitter user and what this person does is post, you know, you could say various tweets from people from the, for the past 10 years who essentially bought into Bitcoin and dumped it earlier. So it's like, you know, they'll post some tweet from some guy in 2013. Yeah, Bitcoin's garbage, selling all of it today. And then, you know, kind of retweets it, you know, and, and things like that, especially like when it was doing well. Like I think last year, I think the highest Bitcoin got was like 68,000. So this user was posting a lot of those old tweets around then. Yeah, Bitcoin's garbage. I'm dumping it now. You know, he was like, bought it at $5. It's $2 now. Forget it. So it's, it's pretty funny. And yeah, yeah, I, I'd hate to be, uh, you know, those, uh, I hate to be one of those early buyers of Bitcoin who didn't uh, hold on to it. You know, I, I would certainly be pretty angry. You know, even despite the fact that Bitcoin took a big, you know, beating, so to say, it's still still worth uh, a lot it's still very valuable regardless so yeah like i said if i can find that i'll, I'll be sure to send that both your both your ways yeah, it's, pretty, it's pretty funny looking at those uh, i would like to take a look yeah. at it in the evening maybe i uh, it would be just a huge meme and i adore memes so yeah yeah well that, that's what it is like it's, it's essentially like these memes that are created based on these like old tweets of people who owned bitcoin and then they dumped it very early and then it's kind of like uh you know, a very kind of like funny piece of content that's circulated because, you know, then, then people comment like, wow, you know, this, this person's an idiot. <laughs> you know, you'll, you'll, you'll kind of, uh, you'll kind of see it once I, once I find it. But yeah, I, it's, uh, you know, you know Adam, I, I believe the that this is, approach is good. This is what happens with pretty much any good thing in the world, because back then uh, we're now close to Serbia and uh, one of yeah. the main historical figures in Serbia is Nikola Tesla. Some people yeah, back then right. didn't believe in electricity and they say, and they tend to say he is a madman. So uh, yeah, that's what happens with all good things. First, they criticize. And we know it even on our own experience because Sonia was always criticized for her decision to start her own business. Oh gosh, what are you going to do in that industry? It's going to end anyway, and one day, and then you're going to lose all of your money. 
it's better to be working on your standard position. It's better to entrust uh, your your boss with your right destiny. <laughs> right with your destiny, yeah. It's way more. Sure. Or trying to start your own. Yeah, but you know, you know what's. Or not? Yeah, I, I can hear you. Yeah, I, I heard what you said as far as, uh, I guess, what people were telling Sonia. Uh, and you know what's funny? Uh, over time, it actually makes the risk worth taking now to go out and do your own thing. Because as time goes on and you look at the historical layoffs across continents, you know, uh, there's certainly, in many ways, a less. Um, you could say there is less job security in many ways. Like, you know, back in, let's say, maybe the era of my parents and let's say yours, you know, mm -hmm. it was still relatively common people to work at one company for like 20 years. Nowadays, you don't see that at all. Nobody does that. Nobody does that mm -hmm. anymore. So especially with the way the economy has gone for everybody, it actually, it actually makes the risk worth taking. If you have a good idea and if you're prepared and if you've, you know, at least have enough information and at least faith and confidence in your own abilities, then why the hell not do your own thing at this point? And in fact, in times of uncertainty, that's actually some of the best times to actually take those chances. Because when most people are kind of losing their shit, most people are panicking, it's an opportunity for people who are calm and prepared to make their move and build something. Uh, by the way... Um regarding 20 uh, years uh, uh, when I worked in uh, big IT companies I saw the people who worked uh, there 20 years and uh, um, I saw how um, new um, CEO uh, quit these people and uh, they uh, didn't know what what they uh, can do now because they work uh, here 20 years and now they are on the street. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, that, and a lot of that has happened here as well. And by the way, I'm even talking about like the major, you know, I'm talking about like blue chip type companies too, where they've historically had like these 20 year type of, you know, employees who have essentially stayed you know, and have been a part, very much a part of these companies. And, you know, during layoffs, it's kind of like, yeah, well, listen, sorry, go, go figure it out yourself. And, yeah. you know, a lot of times those, um, those people don't have a lot of options afterwards, especially because yeah. if you're, if you're attached to one company for, you know, a long time as well, and then you keep in mind how different and changing the job, you know, you could say the, uh, you know, the economy is, you know, because of, let's say, you've stayed at one company for such a long time, you know, you essentially put yourself in a position where you may have not have had the opportunity to work on additional skills to make you competitive once you've gotten fired. You know, I mean, and, you know, that causes a lot of problems for people and their families and their, you know, physical and, you know, and mental health and things like that. So, um, you know, I think there's a lot of factors as far as why that you know, um, why that is the case and why people don't work at companies for, you know, such longer periods of time. I think nowadays, uh, you know, there's been, 
a fair amount of research behind this, but I think the average tenure for a lot of people is like two to three years, to be honest. Um, whereas, you know, let's say 20, 30 years ago, you know, like I said, you know, 10 plus years was kind of normal and a lot more common, you know, to say the least nowadays, it's kind of like, if you're, if you're at somewhere for like, you know, 20 plus years, it's like rare, like really, you know, it's almost kind of hard to, it's almost like really hard to believe, you know, as far as, you know, as far as hearing that. So, so yeah, like, you know, kind of to your point, you know, Sonia, a lot of that, a lot of that happens. And, you know, even, you know, especially even here in the United States, uh, you know, you have like these mass layoffs. People have been at one place for 20 years and it really destroys their lives. Companies really. want uh, young blood. <laughs> right, so, right. You know, I yeah. like to notice how exactly. fundamentally our lives and our parents' lives uh, have changed during like three decades because uh, I think like the world before that the world hadn't seen such progress in such short term and uh, now it's the main principle I mean not only for businesses but also for like any individuals who like to to not only um, like unveil their potential but also to be um, less or more sure about their future Oh, hi. Oh, this is my son. This is uh this is the other co-host here. You wanted to, <laughs> yeah. you wanted to say hi. <laughs> hi. Thank you for joining. If somebody is interested in our conversation, it's a good indicator. So yes, already have a fan here. My four my four year old son Christopher. Anyway, uh, please continue. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so it's a good principle to apply in uh, one's life that Sometimes you should be faster that time. As you said absolutely correctly, you should always be ready to study more, to look yeah. for new skills, to apply. And uh, yeah, and, and, and you know, it, it, even, um, even regarding crypto market. So um, to, to be able to stay on track, you should be constantly evolving. And you should yeah. also be constantly improving your psychology because you should be uh, at the same time quite critical. You should be able right. to to be to be able to mitigate risk. You should be able to find this risk, but at the same yeah. time you should be optimistic. So maybe this is a sort of you know internal conflict for many people in this day and age, and yeah, and it touches all spheres of life. You know, investing work and right. communications, whatever. Yeah, and that's a very good point. And, you know, whether it's equities, like the traditional stock market or crypto, a lot of the fundamental principles still apply. And you look, even in crypto markets, uh, the volatility and price movements are still very, very driven by fear and by greed, especially like uh, last year, if you recall, a lot of those meme coins uh, that were coming out, I, I think it was, had to have been like the middle of summer, early fall but i just remember looking at crypto news and all i saw were meme coins and i saw all the people that were jumping onto these almost different variations of like doge coins so you had like shiba inu coin you had like saitama inu coin you had uh floki inu like all these strange names and but unfortunately because like you know they were they were showing like these early returns of like 1,000, 3,000%, 10,000%. And then you see people jump on after the fact. A lot of them, a lot, if not most people lost money from that. And, mm -hmm. and a lot of that is fear, fear of missing out. It's like, oh no, like these, 
these meme coins are making so much money. If I don't get in, I'm going to miss out. And nowadays, like you don't hear, you hear almost nothing about a lot of those, you know, meme coins from, you know, from last year as, as well. And uh, by the way, don't get me wrong. I do find them entertaining. So, uh, you know, when I saw them come out, they at least, yeah, I know, right, Chris? Um, you know, when I saw them come out, like they were uh, pretty interesting, but mm-hmm. it's, it's, you know, I would imagine a lot of those price movements in pump and dumps, I think like the stock market, it, it, it's largely driven probably by a lot of insiders and whales who are making some sort of power play as well. So mm-hmm. still vulnerable to that, just like, uh, just like anywhere else. Yeah, should, people should not. Yeah, you know, maybe um, I also, we both, Sonia, like this movie. Uh, it's called Big Short. Yes, and, I love that yeah, movie. Yeah. It's a, it's a legendary <laughs> yeah, movie. My story, yeah. Yeah. Chris I, I, I did a great job in that movie, movie, too. I think I watched it like five times or even more. And it starts, uh, you know, with a good quote. Um, I remember, maybe it's Mark Twain. It starts with a quote uh, like, um, the most dangerous thing I would just try to rephrase it to be maybe more easily comprehended. Um, the most dangerous thing is is not the one we know, but the one we don't know. Yeah. And uh, maybe the worst part is that is that we believe that we know everything. So yeah, yeah, I, I know what you're talking should about. Be, should not be uh, thinking that they are clever enough to like overlord the market so maybe it's better to step aside to watch this market like being crazy going up and down and just wait you know like some maybe chinese philosopher and just wait until it all goes back to normal yeah and you know that reminds me of a very specific point in that movie so if if you recall michael burry was really the one you could say um investment banker that predicted and saw the subprime real estate markets crashing and everybody thought mm-hmm. he was crazy, including his own boss. So if you recall, yeah. he was going to yeah. all of these different, you know, you know, essentially investment banks, essentially buying these like uh, almost like these uh, securities from them, essentially yeah, promising him a return they when they like, crashed. Crazy. And they all thought that like they were ripping him off. Like, Oh, this guy's insane. Like he's an idiot. Like, you know, we're going to make a killing off of his firm. And then, then you saw what happened and uh, nobody yeah. believed him. And, you know what was even weird about that? Nobody even tried to understand what he was talking about as well. Uh, a lot of – it seemed like a lot of the bigger players really thought this can never crash. This will always be okay. And then look what happens. And I'm pretty sure uh, Michael Burry is still doing excellent for himself. And a lot of – I followed him from time to time. And a lot of predictions he has made as far as trends and – I know he doesn't get too specific a lot of times. It's almost like cryptic when he talks about certain things. A lot of the things he said has turned out to be right, you know, to say the least. So, you know, it's kind of always good to keep an open mind and, uh, you know, don't always think things say, stay the same. In fact, uh, it's quite the opposite. You know, real life uh, always shows us. <laughs> yeah, sometimes I think it's a good habit. It's a good habit to apply to sometimes rewatch this movie. When you think that um, your stocks are booming, your account is just constantly growing. Right. When you just think, oh, it's going to be always that way. I'm so lucky. Fortune is on my side. Each right. time you think that way, just rewatch this movie. And it, <laughs> it will remind right. you about the right things that you should keep in mind. 
Right. Yeah. And uh, you know, it 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 doesn't hurt to uh, consider any type of possibility, even when things are going well for you. Like I think it's very easy when, let's say, things are going well, and let's say you're, let's say, in the case of a lot of people in the Big Short, your brokerage account is just swelling. Let's say you're doing well. You know, it's always those type of situations where people miss the writing on the wall. And then when it hits, they're kind of the worst off in many ways because kind of refuse to see it. There's overconfident or arrogant or whatnot. But it's easy to be comfortable and it's even easier to get more comfortable when things are good. But unfortunately, that's kind of where um, a lot of the danger lies as well. So, um, you know, there's a lot of great lessons to take away, you know, uh, you know, fr from that movie, to say the least. But also, you saw kind of how dangerous a lot of those investments were in the early 2000s as well with subprime mortgages. And you had like collateral debt obligations and people were buying those and, you know, they were actively being sold and dumped in the market. It was like debt wrapped around worse debt. And even that terrible debt was wrapped around, you know, catastrophic debt and people were buying these. Like, uh, you know, uh, like it was like, uh, like any type of either equity or like an ETF or things like that. And you always got to do your research. Like I, like for instance, I don't think Warren Buffett was buying any of that stuff. I don't, yeah, like, <laughs> yeah he wasn't buying CDOs. No way. I mean, who were the people that were buying CDOs at the time? Unfortunately, they were regular retail investors who were being cold called by essentially, you know, financial advisors and stockbrokers and, you know, th those type of people. And you look at any of the whales, I don't think any of those people were buying those. You know, I think, it, I think it's almost, uh, it's, it's very important to just keep your eyes open and kind of see um, what type of people are also buying these as, as well. And, you know, if Warren Buffett is, let's say, going long in something or if he's bullish in something, it is, <laughs> I know, right, Chris? It's worth paying attention. Yeah, yeah, and with any, like, both crypto market and classic finance, uh, at the same time, you you can be overwhelmed and you can panic and, like, panically, in, in panic selling, like, your some of your crypto assets, but at the same time, you can be optimistically and over-optimistically buying some uh, stuff right. in real estate. So both options... Yeah, so both options are available. And yeah, talking about whales, they know what they know. And it's important right. to keep it in mind that there are always people who know more. So yeah, as I said, it's not a good idea to try to overlord the market. It's over. It's way but it's better to overlord your own panic and your emotions. Yeah, absolutely. And is beautiful, yeah. I agree. Beautiful so part. like on an ending note, um, as far as like uh, conferences, events, um, is TechWaves going to be appearing at anything this year? Because I also know you're, you know, you're also based in New York City, so you have yeah. like uh, NFT NYC coming up and a few other things. So, uh, are you both going to be making appearances anytime soon at any of these conferences? Yeah, yeah we are choosing uh, now some conferences, uh, but uh, we definitely uh, want to be on Web Summit in Portugal. Oh, very nice. Um, and um, in November, and maybe uh, in some con we 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 will visit some conferences uh, in June or July. Awesome. In Europe. 
yeah, maybe Barcelona or Paris because, uh, yeah, it's also part of our job. We're constantly on lookout for some, like, you know, worth time and money events. And uh, we're also, you know, uh, after coronavirus crisis, it uh, became suddenly clear that uh, nothing can replace, you know, offline communication. Yeah. And it's uh, one of the most precious things and it's efficient for work. And it's the best way to for partnership, for efficient partnership. Absolutely. And that's why we are now looking for different events and uh, we're open to any suggestions. And uh, our main focuses are on uh, blockchain, on uh, NFT. And what I'm personally interested in, in all conferences regarding crypto regulation, because uh, what I'd like to know, I'd like to know how now authorities take these crypto trends because um you know I like to see how the situation is changing uh from the inside because i see that lately fca and uh security exchange commission they like you know they like they got slower on these tightening crypto regulations like they right. also tried to wait and to wait to make the right decision because a year ago it was completely different. And you remember, Sonia, how things were going very, very fast, uh, particularly with Binance. You know, like each day brought some negative news regarding crypto regulation was uh, going, uh, it was either going to be prohibited or strictly regulated. And now the situation is completely different. So it's yeah, also it good summer, uh, summer, I think, last summer. Yeah. Yeah, I was uh, back in uh, two in uh, 2021, and if something changed, it's definitely worth examining why and probably how. Yeah, yeah, regulation is going to be one of the bigger either barriers or obstacles or however you want to look at it over the next uh, few years, and I think a lot of the a lot of the dilemma is going to be how to really properly articulate. Um, how to regulate it, and almost even to how to articulate the nature of these assets, so to say. Like, how do you regulate an NFT? How do you regulate the metaverse? You know, and with cryptocurrency, you know, some are essentially, you could say, uh, assets in of, in of themselves, and some of them are essentially, you know, uh, uh, you know, DAP platforms like Ethereum, for instance. So, like, can like can you treat Ethereum? The same way as Bitcoin. You know, Bitcoin is really, right, Chris? Yeah, but, you know, Bitcoin is really an asset in of itself. Ethereum is, in many ways, a programming platform to create dApps off of. So, like, you know, if you're, you know, if you're, let's say, a lobbyist on behalf of Ethereum, you know, you would have a very strong argument in saying, well, this doesn't necessarily fit the same mold or the same type of pattern as a crypto asset per se like bitcoin so to say because you know even though let's say even though bitcoin and ethereum both you know let's say accrue value based on you know based on market conditions but you know ethereum you know through the ethereum virtual machine this is also a software to build things off of as well and these are you know to build programs to build coding you know to build all types of things so you know if you want to have an argument to maybe let's say maybe Ethereum should be regulated less than Bitcoin, there might be a few things to work with in, in that case. 
you know, hypothetically speaking anyway. Yeah, more uh, more than other things, I adore, you know, talks about NFT regulation because NFT yeah. is an asset that even sold in uh, like Christie's and Sotheby's uh, auctions. And if ultra high net worth people are seeking to buy such assets if they believe in the concept of NFT in art, maybe it means something. And uh, this is definitely a thing that you should first examine and only after that regulate. And yeah, it's not completely clear how exactly because crypto market is so much filled with different types of assets and they have all yep. different functions. And yeah, the same rules with, you know, the, the rules you try to apply or the terms you try to impose on Bitcoin, 100% cannot be, for example, applied to, to Ethereum. Right. Yeah, because they're both, you know, functionally, you know, very different. And, you know, in fact, many of these, you know, coins in general um, have a lot of, you know, differences, you know, between them. I mean, even, you know, something like Solana or Polygon, you know, same thing. These are also blockchains that you can build things off of and build things on, on top of, you know. So mm -hmm. it kind of makes you wonder, like, uh, how is whether whether it's the uh we can hear you. Whatever yeah. they come up with, it's going to have to be very, very specific and nuanced for it to work. Otherwise, there's constantly going to be a tug of war between, you could say, the private, decentralized, you know, crypto industry and, and regulators. So those are, my, um, the, that, those are my two cents in that. So it's going to be very interesting over the next few years. But listen, uh, Nika, Sonia, it was an absolute pleasure having you both on today. Certainly got to discuss and, uh, and learn a lot. And I'm very excited to see what you both have in store with uh, Tech Waves for this year. And by the way, um, you know, whenever you two get, you know, get into New York, uh, please give me a shout. Um, I'm, I'm located up here. I'll be doing a few events with, uh, you know, various groups and, uh, you know, um, other individuals and influencers as well. So uh, maybe if there's some synergies or maybe uh, there's some space for collaboration, you know, perhaps we can, you know, discuss that as well. Yeah. Thank you. Of yeah, course. in the summer we're 100% going to stay in Montenegro, uh, not just because of Vitalik Buterin, who is now a citizen oh. of Montenegro. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, we're in Budva and we do believe that we're going to meet him. So we believe in fortune. Oh, wow. That one day we walk on the Take pictures. there to share his knowledge about Ethereum and this is going to be a life-changing moment. You know, people are even buying real estate for crypto here. So this is good. This country is quite yeah. in terms of crypto, just believe us. But yeah, yeah. maybe in autumn we're going to be back in New York. Yeah. I, by the way, I don't blame you for you know trying to stay in Montenegro as long as possible. I was just telling Sonia before when you got cut off quickly. <laughs> right, Chris. Um, it looks beautiful over there, to say the least. You have like good food and a nice Mediterranean weather there kind of wondering like what the hell am i doing up here right now <laughs> <laughs> the second you land in montenegro you can call us we're always here we'll show you where to eat the best meat here oh thank you yeah i'm going to berlin i, I was mentioning before i'm going to berlin in a few weeks um and i was going to say if certainly if I had more time i'd like to take a little detour like you know <laughs> we can hear you <laughs> Chris like to take part in conversation. Yeah. <laughs> this off. Can you hear me now? Yeah. yeah. All right, Chris, you turn off the microphone. 
<laughs> That's awesome. No, I was just saying, uh, I'm going to Berlin in a few weeks, but yeah. you know, if I had more time, I'd love to take a little detour to somewhere nice like Montenegro with the, uh, you know, the, that that really great Mediterranean weather and and good food and and and, and whatnot. Yeah, so. I know it's uh, cheap prices, good food, good weather, and uh, low crypto regulation and low taxes, like perfect. Wow. The same yeah. place. Seriously, I should move then. <laughs> New York and New Jersey is the total opposite of that. <laughs> okay. Thank you very much for this conversation. Thank you so much for coming on. And I, I hope you two have a have a great time in Montenegro. I hope you both meet uh, Vitalik Buterin. Please keep me posted when you do. Post something and uh, you'll be sure to share with me as well. And I'll definitely recirculate it on. You'll be the first person to know about our meeting with Vitalik. Yeah. Awesome. Yes, please let me know. And yeah. When you uh, when you uh, happen to uh, get back to New York in the fall, perhaps give me a shout. Sure. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Appreciate you coming on to today's Thank episode, you. and I'll talk to you both soon. Bye. Bye. Bye.